Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, March 29th, 2023 and the end of week 57 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,318 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 399 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some quick housekeeping. We are focusing on regional updates and critical news through April 26th as we launch our second podcast, Gen All. But let's start this podcast with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess the Russian winter offensive has culminated. Second, we assess that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and, beyond Bakhmut, are only capable of point and localized attacks. Third, we assess that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut remains in a critical state and is fluid, with defensive lines protecting the ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, stabilized. Fourth, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, those are seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of cost. Fifth, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions. Sixth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian MOD has degraded the political and military strength and influence of private military company or PMC Wagner Group and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Eighth, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is also actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March 28, 2022, the world didn't yet know that Russia would declare that all objectives had been achieved in central and northern Ukraine and would begin its retreat from Kyiv, Cherniv, Sumy, and parts of Kharkiv. In Cherniv, Russian troops blew up bridges in Starodutnya, Smyanch, Mali Dirchin, and Veliki Dirchin in preparation for their retreat. 
In Kharkiv, there was less shelling, enabling the Red Cross, or ICRC, to deliver 60 tons of humanitarian aid. Further south, fighting continued for control of Izum, with Russian forces controlling the northern half and Ukraine holding the southern half. Ukrainian forces were able to re-establish the G-lock between Poltava and Sumy, while attacks on the exposed flanks of the Russian G-lock extended to the eastern edge of the Kyiv Oblast. Heavy fighting continued in Mariupol, where the humanitarian situation had become grave. Residents were killing and eating their pets, stray dogs and cats due to a lack of food, and attempts to cook outside risked artillery, mortar or sniper attacks. In the Donbass, fighting continued in Rubizhne and Popazna. The general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine confirmed that Irpin had been liberated. To the west and north, up to 12,000 Russian troops in Bucha and Hostomel were in a deep salient. The United Kingdom Ministry of Defense reported that up to 1,000 PMC Wagner Group mercenaries had been transferred from Africa and Syria to Ukraine. Due to the clarity of hindsight, we now know that the first unit started to arrive on March 17th. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported fighting near Hryanikivka. Positional fighting also continued near Sinkivka with no change to the line of conflict. In the Svatova operational area, yes, Svatova is in Luhansk, bear with me, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported an attack on Krochmalne, located on the Luhansk-Kharkiv administrative border, was repulsed. See, I told you. Moving on to Luhansk, in the Kremina operational area, the Russian MOD reported an attack was launched on Nevsky, but made no claims of changes in territorial control. Positional fighting between squad and platoon-sized units, sometimes supported by armor, continued in the forested areas west of Kremina, near Dibrova and south of Kuzmine. In the Lusychansk operational area, fighting continued northeast and east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Verknokomyanskia from the area of the Verknokomyanka oil refinery and were unsuccessful. Russian forces appear to be looking for weaknesses in Ukrainian defenses south of Spirna, having shifted attacks over the last five days between Vesele, Vyemka, and Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. Yesterday, Russian forces attempted to advance out of Berestova and were unsuccessful. In the Bakhmut operational area, Serhi Cherevati, spokesperson for Operational Command East, or OKE, reported, quote, The situation is very dynamic. Enemy forces at times are able to make tactical gains, and these are anticipated. We see them, and we are working to counteract them. It is consistently difficult, but we, the Ukrainian forces, are firing and undertaking other countermeasures to prevent Russian forces from building on their gains. End quote. There were no new claims by PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, his marketing arm Concord Group, or Wagner's social media channels. 
There were only five recent videos on open-source intelligence, and none indicated any significant changes in the line of conflict. Mapping urban combat is challenging because of battlefield dynamics. North of Bakhmut, the GSAFU and Rybar reported fighting, quote, in the area of Orikhovo-Vasilivka. North of Botanivka, fighting continued with no change in the situation, and the T-506 Highway G-Lock is still open. There were no reports of fighting in the area of Hromova. Cherevati said that on March 28th, there were only, quote, 14 clashes between Ukrainian and Russian forces in the vicinity of Bakhmut. In Bakhmut, fighting continued to the north, south, and east. PMC Wagner continued attempting to enter the city's administrative center, with one Ukrainian soldier calling the situation, quote, hell, while another described fighting as a, quote, meat grinder, while expressing high morale and confidence. Ukrainian forces are holding a fixed defense along Korsunskoho Street and, strangely, according to Russian sources, on parts of Mariupolska Street, which we have coded under Russian control based on a video showing PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin at school number 5 earlier in the week. We did not make changes to the map. Russian troops continued their attempts to advance on Ivanivska and reach where the MiG-17 statue was located without success. South of Ivanivska, Ukrainian forces are firmly holding defenses while the situation is more difficult to the east. In the Kostyantinivka operational direction, Russian forces attempted to cross the Seversky Donetsk Donbass Canal near Ozaryanivka and establish positions on the West Bank. They were unsuccessful. In southwest Donetsk, at the time of recording, there was a claim from a semi-reliable Russian source that the 1st Army Corps, comprised mostly of Mobiks, had made gains west of Vodyana. We couldn't find a second source or identify the original source of the report. PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin denied claims by Russian social media users that Wagner mercenaries were in the Avdiivka operational area, telling Kremlin-aligned website On the Eve, quote, No, this is not true. There are no divisions of PMC Wagner on Avdiivka and never have been. All tasks are performed exclusively by the military. End quote. In the northern sector of the Avdiivka operational area, the GSAFU reported significant fighting, with attempts by Russian forces to advance toward Novokalinova and Stepova failing. Russian forces continued point attacks on the edges of Avdiivka, failed to advance, and retreated to their defensive positions. South of Avdiivka, the 1st Army Corps, now largely comprised of Russian Mobiks and penal units, continued attacks in the direction of Sieverne and reportedly fought only positional battles on the edge of Vodyana. Attacks on Pervomaiske from Piski continued, with conflicting reports on the situation. We had not made changes to the map at the time of recording. Russian forces continued their attempts to cross the beet and potato fields to reach the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske without success. In the Marinka operational area, fighting was limited to the center of the ruined city, with no change in the situation. In Mariupol, the head of the occupation police force, Mikhail Moskvin, who was wounded in a car bomb explosion on Sunday, 
has been transferred by helicopter to Taganrog for more advanced medical treatment. The acting self-declared leader of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, and former pyramid scheme salesman, Denis Pushilin, flip-flopped on plans for the main port of Mariupol. Reportedly, the railway infrastructure had been repaired, although it ultimately connects to nowhere, and power has been restored. Pushilin also announced he wants to turn the port into a civil transport hub, with passenger service from Mariupol to Russian-occupied Crimea and the Rostov and Krasnodar regions. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Zaporizhia Regional Military Administration reported only 57 Russian artillery strikes along the entire line of conflict, using tanks, multiple launch rocket systems, and artillery. The number of fire missions is down 50% from normal and has dropped 60-75% to since mid-January. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP. Renat Karcha, an advisor to the general director of Rosatom, announced that there had been no shellings of ZNPP in 2023. Karcha's statement to Russian state media agency TASS undercut the repeated false claims by Russian collaborator and occupied Zaporizhia administrator Vladimir Rogov of shelling at the plant. See, this is why friends don't let friends listen to Rogov about anything. We listen to Rogov, so you don't have to. You're welcome. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported a large-scale HIMARS attack on Russian-occupied Melitopol, which destroyed the electrical substation in Ferodivka and targeted the railroad yards. Power was knocked out throughout the city and surrounding towns. During an interview with Russian state media TV channel Russia One, occupied Zaporizhia Gau leader Yevgeny Balitsky claimed he was discussing with the Russian Ministry of Transport establishing a passenger ferry between Berdyansk and Kerch. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported there were seven vessels of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, including one Kilo-class submarine capable of launching up to four caliber cruise missiles. While weather conditions were expected to improve slightly today, in occupied Sevastopol, ferry service was suspended, with officials claiming it was due to sea conditions. Weather in the Black Sea and occupied Crimea is expected to worsen, with storm warnings issued for heavy rain and winds up to 25 meters per second, that's 90 kilometers per hour or 56 miles per hour, for March 28th to 30th. Heavy mountain snow on the southern tip of Crimea is expected on March 30th, with rain continuing on the coastal plain. Weather is already impacting the Kerch Strait ferry operations, with 77 trucks in the queue to cross. Rail logistics were snarled in Jankoy after a car versus train incident captured on security cameras. Rail service was blocked for hours as investigators combed over the fatal accident scene, which killed four, including two children. The incident appears to be an accident, unrelated to espionage or insurgent activity. The Crimean Bridge has reopened to, quote, 
light trucks, and empty semi-trucks. The opening has caused massive traffic jams due to heightened security measures. It's the first time truck traffic has been permitted since the October 8, 2022 bombing, which collapsed one highway section and severely damaged the second roadway and adjacent railroad tracks. Odessa and the adjacent coastal areas were battered by a late-season winter storm, which knocked over dozens of trees, blew out windows, injured two, and caused significant tidal flooding in Zatoka. The region was experiencing extensive power outages due to falling trees. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces fired on each other's positions across the Dnipro River. Russian forces completed 34 fire missions, firing 172 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, and indirect tank fire, attacking the city of Kherson three times and wounding one. The shelling targeted a hospital in the Dnipro district of Kherson, causing extensive damage and blowing out almost all the windows. The shelling also destroyed the heating and emergency power systems. The Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Oleksandr Prokudin reported the post office sorting and distribution center was also shelled. On the Russian front, Russian officials claim that a person out for a walk found the remains of a drone near Moscow that crashed about 100 meters from railroad tracks. The medium-sized drone was painted in the colors of the Ukrainian flag and had, quote, glory to Ukraine painted on it. Some assessment here. To quote our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and failed Mobik Igor Strelkov-Girkin, from his list of euphemisms you can use so you don't violate Russia's so-called don't-say-war laws, quote, a good patriot is a terrified patriot, end quote. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian Major Denis Kurolyuk, who was awarded the Order for Courage third class by President Zelensky in August 2022, was killed in combat when his aircraft was shot down on March 28. Kurolyuk had flown more than 70 combat sorties since February 2022, and his death was reported by Mirhorad Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Vitaly Dyakivnich. Built on the foundation of the drone unit formed by Ukrainian soldier Magyar, the Ukrainian army announced the creation of three new drone strike companies, expanding Ukraine's dedicated drone forces to battalion size. The GSAFU said as part of the announcement, the new units, quote, will have a completely new approach to management, training, and drone use doctrine, end quote. The units have been outfitted exclusively through private donations. Some assessment here. Ukraine is becoming one of the leading nations on the planet for the development of low-cost, highly effective combat drones while refining unit composition, command structure, equipment, tactics, and strategy. A United States official said that surveillance flights by U.S. drones are now flying a route 60 kilometers from the Crimean coast to de-escalate with Russia and prevent further incidents between the two nations. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin believes that due to the significant depletion of Russian forces and the arrival of promised NATO standard weapon systems, Ukraine has a, quote, very good chance of launching a successful counteroffensive in the spring. 
Austin said that Ukraine currently has a, quote, significant advantage compared to Russian forces while acknowledging the, quote, serious fighting in the Bakhmut area, saying, quote, the Ukrainians inflicted significant losses on the Russians and they depleted their reserves of armored vehicles in a way that no one could have ever imagined. And now we see how Russia is deconserving T-54 and T-55 tanks, end quote. He supported our assessment that Russian forces are facing a shortage of artillery ammunition, having to turn to North Korea and Iran for aid. Austin continued, quote, That's why I think we'll see an intensification of hostilities in the spring as the conditions for maneuvers improve and, based on what we've already done and continue to do, I think Ukraine will have a very good chance of success. End quote. Speaking of an intensification of hostilities, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. The Kremlin declared that for upcoming elections in the occupied territories in Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson, people would not be required to have official state identification, known as an internal passport, to participate, and alternative documents would be acceptable. Additionally, a draft law would eliminate all absentee ballots even for service members, due to a, quote, lack of demand. Passportization within the DNR may not be going as well as advertised. Self-declared acting leader of the DNR and former casino dealer, Pushalin, signed a decree that extends the validity of identity, property deeds, and address information documents issued before March 1, 2023, until the end of the year. Previously, all residents were required to get Russian passports by April 1st. It has been visually confirmed by Killed in Ukraine, using open-source intelligence such as obituaries, Russian state media reports, memorials, and photos and video from funerals. Russia has lost 2,000 military officers since March 24, 2022. The data does not include losses from the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, DNR, PMC Wagner leadership, or Chechen Akhmat units. Actual losses are almost certainly higher, as not all fatalities are documented in the public sphere. A video showed Cold War-era BRDM 2MS amphibious scout cars being moved by train. The 2MS variant is a modernized version that added an improved diesel engine, smoke grenade launchers, GLONASS navigation, a modern fire control system, and a six-camera system so the commander can see 360 degrees. It also has slightly improved armor, but the original design can't support ERA blocks. One critical flaw of the BRDM was not addressed. The crew hatch is located forward of the turret, which means exiting the vehicle puts the crew in the line of fire not just from opposing forces, but from their own main gun. If the armored scout cars appear on the battlefield, it won't be a new event. The BRDM-2M and related variants have been in service with Ukraine and Russian proxy forces since the Russian invasion began in 2014. We had previously reported about two Russian units, with supporting information, who have complained about a lack of rations. Logistics and supply issues may be spreading, with reports in occupied Crimea of cattle being confiscated, according to Krim SOS analyst Yevgeny Yaroshenko. 
The organization reports that occupiers are going to small farms and fixed-income pensioners and confiscating their livestock, claiming they are diseased. Farmers counter there is nothing wrong with the livestock, and healthy animals are being confiscated for no reason. It's claimed the animals are being processed to feed Russian troops. You remember the good old days a year ago when we had to assess Russian claims that 40,000 Syrian soldiers were coming to fight in Ukraine? Those were the days. Alexander Slotkov said, hold my vodka and watch this, claiming that 50,000 North Korean special forces and 800,000 regular troops are ready to join the war in Ukraine to fight for Russia. Okay, but pictures where it didn't happen, okay? In geopolitical news, the United Nations Security Council failed to pass a resolution to investigate Western culpability for destroying the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. Russia, China, and Brazil voted in favor of the measure, with all other parties abstaining. The Security Council will meet on March 31st to discuss Russia's plans to forward-deploy tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. After pledging with China on March 21st that stationing nuclear weapons in any country destabilizes global security and should not be done by any nation. The International Olympic Committee, or IOC, has postponed the decision to admit Russians to the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris. However, the IOC will still allow individual athletes from Russia and Belarus to participate in international competitions without a flag, anthem, or national colors, and a ban on supporting the war in Ukraine. It would also ban athletes from having connections to the power structures of Russia. The IOC Executive Committee recommended that international federations create separate commissions on the issue of admitting Russian athletes to competitions. Assessment here. The only organization or government happy with this announcement is the IOC, with loud complaints from all sides. Difficult decisions that leave no one happy usually mean they're the right decisions. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.